Welcome to the Know, Like, Trust podcast for real estate professionals. In this podcast, you'll discover what it takes to establish know, like, and trust, and connect with the right people for success in real estate. If you're a marketing strategist, real estate agent, or another professional in the real estate space, and you're interested in building a referral-based business, you're in the right place. Here are your hosts, Betty Russo and Christine George. Time to start. Welcome. You know how much I love to dance into our music. I know, I know. I love it. Welcome to the No Like Trust podcast. I am Betty Russo. And I'm Christine George. And today we're talking to Mike and Nino, and I'm super excited, so excited. Mike and I met a couple of years back, <clears throat> excuse me, right at the beginning of COVID when we were like, we knew nothing. We knew nothing. Um, and we were, you know, holed up in our houses and we had an amazing conversation. And so I'm so excited to have you back here with us today, Mike. I'm just going to kind of give like you know, that 30 second of who you are, you are a public speaking coach. We're going to talk a lot about that, about that today. You teach people how to captivate their audience, how to cultivate their presence, how to be confident on stage, which I need all of those things. So I'm really excited. Um, you teach all of this in your program, the mic drop method, which I believe is new since we talked a couple of years ago. Um, and you have a great podcast called the mic drop. So you're a big believer in storytelling, which is really a point of, a, you know, a, a, a differentiation for people if they can do it correctly. So Mike, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the, for the intro. I always, um, I always love when someone like makes up their own intro, you know, they're going to be like, this is how I know you and what I know about you. Uh, Cause it's such a good reflection back to us. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. So, so happy to have you with us today. I'm so excited, Mike, to be talking with you today. This is the first time we're meeting face-to-face, -face, although we are social media friends, um, but I love watching you speak. I love listening to you tell stories. I love how you express yourself. You're fun, you're engaging, and uh, I'm really excited um, for you to get in front of our audience today. So I can't wait to dig in. So my first question, it's kind of a given. Tell us your story. What is your story, Mike? <laughs> yeah, you know. What's your backstory? How did you get into public speaking? Give us all the good stuff. Yeah, there was a there was a period of time in my in my early twenties. I was an actor in Chicago. I was doing comedy and commercials and TV and and things like that, uh, doing sketch, Second City, that whole world. But also was working full time because I'm type one diabetic, and before Affordable Care Act, I couldn't get health insurance. Uh, without having a job. So I couldn't do the whole like starving artist thing uh, because because uh, I needed work. So I was working in a restaurant industry. I became a sommelier. I was going to all of these wine trainings. And then at night I was writing shows, putting on, you know, one person shows, being part of ensemble casts, uh, doing commercials. And I remember one day I was sitting in a in a wine training and it was like the wines of Spain, something I'm so interested in. And it's just so boring. I'm in the back of the room. Everyone's trying to like pry their eyes open. And then they're giving you wine as well, red wine. So you're like, I'm a little bit tired anyway because I'm having this delicious red wine. And I just kept thinking like, why is this so boring? And that was consistent. Wine training was just always so dry. It was smart people trying to prove to other smart people that they were smart. That's what wine training was like. And I thought something that's so full of life should be fun. And at the same time, I was doing comedy and shows and improv. And I thought, 
why aren't we borrowing some of those ideas of how to create an interesting narrative arc in a training, how to really build a relationship with the audience, how to get off of the slides and actually talk to the people in front of you. Why are we not doing some of those things that we're doing in theater? So I started involving that in my own trainings. When I was doing wine trainings, I eventually went on to become a director of operations and a COO and was a partner in a restaurant group. And I just kept bringing in ideas from theater uh, into the way we designed customer experiences, the way we designed our training and presentations, the way we did video training for people was very like theatrical and it worked. People loved it. We were winning awards and things like that. So in 2013, we sold the company I was a partner in and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go do this speaking thing. And initially I was talking about building a great like uh, hospitality brand, but pretty quickly, one of my clients said, hey, we want you back next year. And I thought, oh, cool. I'll come back and speak again to new people. And she was like, no, 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 we don't want you to speak. Uh, I, and I thought, you know, like once an actor, always an actor. And she's telling me she'll pay me to shut up. So that was consistent in my life as well. <laughs> what they wanted was for me to come and coach their executive team on their speeches for their annual conference, because they remembered everything that I told them the year before. The story about working with my grandma at Pizza Hut when I was 15, the stories about uh, my journey in the restaurant industry and what that was like. But they didn't remember any of the really important stuff they needed to know from the executives. And so pretty early on in 2014, that got me started speaking and teaching around communication, uh, public speaking, presence, all of those things. And that's, uh, that's what I do today. Wow. You know, it sounds like to me that you're a natural at, at what you do, but I love how you brought all of your past experiences together um, and built and built up to where you are now. You have three public speaking principles. Tell us about that. And I'm not going to lie. I took this right off of your website. Emotions beat beat facts. Everyone has a story and authenticity is exciting. I couldn't agree more. Um, But tell us a little bit about that and your mic drop method. Sure, sure. So the mic drop method is uh, is our way of thinking around how do you put on a good put on a good show for an audience, which is what we're doing. Whether you're doing a listing appointment, that is theater that should be choreographed. You should know where am I going? What do I do next? When do I refer to the slide? When am I pulling out comps? And I've coached some like multi-million dollar agents, big producers here in Los Angeles around listing appointments and how to really create that moment because it is such a moment of theater for that audience, for your for your uh, seller. Uh, the same thing when you're when you're with buyers, you're creating a moment of theater for them. And to just say, you know, sign in and let me wander around, I think is does such a disservice to your industry and to your profession and what's possible for you. So the mic drop method is all about thinking through how do we write or put together our content, our stories? How do we put it into a transformational narrative that is audience focused first? We put the audience in the middle of it. And then how do we perform? How do we use the five stage languages to put on a good show? There are five of them. And then ultimately, how do we learn to direct ourselves? How do we learn to make in the moment decisions and decide what's possible here? What's good for me? So that's what the mic drop method is. And whether people do that with us in a day long session or whether they work with us in a six month uh, group experience, either way, they're going to learn those three things. The principles that you're talking about are things that I just saw over and over. So emotion beats facts. We see that again and again, that we love to say, people love to say, I'm a very logical person. I make fact-based decisions. No, you don't. I mean, we live in a post-fact world, by the way, and there's no such thing as a, as a fact. Um, and I don't even think there's the whole thing. You know, people say like, there's three sides to this every story. I don't think there's true. 
because there is no truth. There is no one thing that is true about a story because everything is imbued with our meaning of it. And so the idea that there's my story, your story, and the truth, I, I don't think so. Your story is your truth. That's and my right. story is my truth. And so if we think that we're going to show up to a listing appointment, to uh, a first-time buyer event where we're speaking, and we're going to show up with facts and figures and data, we've already lost the game because nobody does anything. This is the human experience. We don't do anything unless we feel like it. Nothing. Whoa, we don't do anything I, unless we feel like it. Okay. Can I can I play devil's advocate on that? Sure. So... <clears throat> um, what do you think about, I mean, this is kind of how I work. Um, it's the data, it's the story within the data that creates sort of the call to action, I, I would think, right? So don't you sort of need the data to create the story in many ways? I think it depends on what story you're telling because there's, there's think about it this way, right? If it was just factual, why would anyone, I live in Los Angeles, why would anyone be buying a billionaire huge home for two people to live in with 37 rooms? That doesn't make logical sense or factual sense. That's an emotional based decision. We then use the data to say like, well, it's a good purchase and it's this and that and the other. But the reality is two people don't need that big of a house to live in. Why do some people drive in a, in a, in a, you know, a Porsche or a Volvo SUV versus just like a Toyota Camry, which is a perfectly fine car. Those are all emotional based decisions that we use data to say, well, I made a, a, a factual decision when really we made an emotional decision because we felt like it, because if we didn't have the emotion of our brain chemicals of dopamine, serotonin, um, oxytocin. If we didn't have those, we wouldn't care about a lot of things. We wouldn't make those decisions. And so, yeah, I think data can support sometimes what we do. And I think a lot of times we use data to support the emotional decision we made. And we say, well, this is why it was a good investment or something. I think that to assume that your buyer doesn't want, uh, doesn't make emotional decisions, I think is a really, uh, it's just not true. Because everything we do, we do because we feel like it, you know? Got it. Yeah. Got so it. I think they yeah. can play with each other there. Uh, so the second sense. one, everyone has a story. I mean, that's just true. Like if you have a perspective, a take something on life, then you went through something, some experience that made you say, well, this is the way it is. Right. And so what is that? Why do you view it the way you view it? That's really what I mean when I say everyone has a story is that if you have a take, a perspective, then you went through something that made you believe that. So what'd you go through? Because probably what you went through to believe what you believe is the same journey that your audience needs to go through to believe what you believe. And what we show up with all the time is data and facts and figures. And we say, let me tell you what I'm going to tell you, tell you the facts, give you supporting points. But we forget that that's not the way we made that decision. We made that decision going through this specific uh, psychology of change. And if we can remember to give that to our audience, we have a better chance of them seeing the world the way we do. So instead of trying to prove to them that the world is this way, take them on the journey you went on, which is always inside of that story that you have. All right. I agree all right. with all of those things that you're saying, I, honestly. I totally I have to get say. it too. Right? I'm not, like I, I'm 100% because I am the emotional side of my marriage, right? Like I am the expressive one. And I'm specifically thinking of my husband who always, he's the data guy, right? And so many of our agents have, you know, analytical clients, right? Like that analytical person who's not, who tends not to be as emotional. 
how would you I'm totally getting off off, sure. off script here. <laughs> um I how would you recommend that agent approach that person who just wants the facts and figures and the data and and the the logic? Well, I think I think two things. One is that we're we have to be careful not to confuse um expressing emotion with being emotional. Those are yes. different things. Thank so you. Expressing... I'm not emotional, I'm expressive. You're, and you could be emotional, but what I'm saying is that your husband is also emotional, meaning he has yeah. emotions. Whether he expresses them not is a very different thing. So I think that's sometimes what we think about is we think like, oh, that person's not emotional. Yeah, they are. Everyone has emotions. Uh, otherwise, there's there's a psychosis going on. There's some there's something diagnosable. <laughs> and I'm not saying that to be to be crude. I'm saying that's truth. That is the true definition of of uh, you know of of an issue. And I'm not being dismissive of that, but I'm saying that otherwise, unless that's true, then everyone is emotional, meaning we all use um, our emotions to make decisions. Otherwise, very few things would happen in this world because we do a lot of things because we like it. We buy a brand cookie because we feel like it, all of those kinds of things. So I think when we're faced with someone who might seem on the surface more analytical, I think the thing we have to get underneath is to, to ask ourselves, well, what is the emotion that's driving their need for those analytics? What are they, what kind of, are they scared of making a wrong decision? Like what might be there a little bit? And so that's, I think, what, uh, what I would recommend. And like when we're teaching the transformational narrative for a speech or in a listing appointment, what we're looking at is the psychology of it. We're not trying to trick someone by being uh, overly expressive and dramatic. What we're saying is how do people actually make decisions? And if your listing appointment is, if you're lying and the comps aren't good in the area, then of course you should be found out and be a fraud. But if the, if the truth of the comps of the, of what's going on in the market, if the truth is on your side, then you still also need to package that in a transformational narrative. Why do we choose one agent over the other? It's almost always an emotional decision. Yeah. So you're, I, yeah, I totally hear you. So I think to go a little deeper, what you're saying is you have to know your audience. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I think you have to understand, again, this is where I'm, I'm dancing the line between like what an agent might be doing versus if you're giving a speech or, or giving a talk is the idea of knowing your audience is helpful when that's really possible. If you're showing up for the first time to a listing appointment, you've never met the person, but they saw a sign and they called you because you sold their neighbor's home for, you know, over asking or quickly or something, then you may not have that option. So then why wouldn't you think through how, what is the psychological journey an average person might go on to make this decision and front load your talk with that because it's going to cover the most amount of people. Yes. Yes. Oh my you God. Know, you know what? That's so cool. So I need, I need to ask you this, Mike. So normally when I go into a listing appointment, the first thing that I, I never, I never bring papers. I never bring numbers. I walk in and I meet the sellers and I want to learn about them and their and their home. And I, I usually don't encounter that issue with facts. Once we make that connection, I I show them the comps eventually, but that's not the basis of my initial meeting. And I find success with that. Is that what you're saying? That really is the key. Creating that relationship by learning about them and their story, I think. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I think I think that the 
the thing in that case, right? So if you're going to go in and you're going to have a meeting with a with a with a possible seller, and I'm going to have a meeting, then we're likely looking at the same comps. Like we're probably not like. The, the truth is we're looking at the same thing and what we're really making, what they're really making the decision on when we're talking about comps, when we're talking about market trends, when we're talking about, um, you know, what's going on, those are the same information. We all get, we all have access to the same data, frankly, through the MLS or whatever, uh, through, we all have access to the same information. And, yep. and I get that certain brokers say we have better information. Uh, maybe you curate it and make it pretty, but we have the same information. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, why do they decide to work with you versus me? That comes down to purely um, an emotional decision about who we trust, who we believe in, who we think, um, who we think really understands what's going on and a bunch of other little micro things that that also have nothing to do with us of like do they have a bad experience with another guy who wore a blue shirt and had spiky hair that has nothing to do with me and it's just <laughs> they don't like me right off the bat you know yeah 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 or they have like a terrible association with the name michelle or whatever it is you know totally oh that goodness. happens yeah. i never thought of yeah. that <laughs> and even, just like, even if you go even further and this is like a total rabbit hole so i don't you know like if they're hungry when they have a meeting with you versus me, if it's the end of the day, if they've had a bad experience, if it's yeah. the fourth meeting they've had, all of those things impact the experience. It's why when you go to Disneyland or why we go to theater, they do such a, they really pay attention to how can they control those first minutes of your experience? How can they create it so that by the time the show starts, by the time you get on that ride, They've mm -hmm. kind of numbed the outsideness as much as is possible because the reality is also like if you meet with them when they're hungry, you have less of a chance that they're going to say yes to you. If you're yeah, the yeah. last person of the week, there's just all kinds of things in there. I think we forget sometimes that all of those are psychological, emotional based decisions. Yeah. How much sleep did they get the night before? You know, yeah. um, all of it. Did they have an argument yeah. with their did spouse. They did they into an Yeah. Right, are they it. yelling at their family members on Facebook about something? Yes. Like all of those things really do matter. Really do. Yeah. Like there was a there's an interesting study around these Israeli um, uh, parole judges that would hear parole uh, decisions, and they did this study that they've repeated again and again. And if you were uh, you're you were more likely to get a no on your parole if it was right before lunch and they were hangry, because like it, it, like that's a true thing even for judges who are supposed to be impartial. We are emotional beings. It is how we are designed. It is why we care about each other. It's why the world mostly works. Like there's there's not enough police and and government intervention if we all really just wanted to go buck wild and do whatever we wanted that would be really hard to control us it mostly works because we are emotional decision makers you know and emotional beings i love how you cleared that up because i always looked at it as emotional versus like factual like christine was saying you know the example with her husband i go through the same thing um but it's it's so much deeper than that so I love that explanation. It's making me think in a whole different way. Um, everything is really emotional beast. And then <laughs> we go from there. <laughs> and when you have both, when you have both, like what I was saying to Christine's question is when you have both, even better. Like yeah. go in with your data, but organize it and create your track so that it's it's delivered on an emotional uh, and an emotional wavelength, even down to data, if we get really geeky here, is like, 
Okay, so if you say, hey, there's this happened when we were working with someone for TEDx Cambridge, I was the executive producer. And in their talk, they were saying something like, you know, uh, 700, I don't remember the exact numbers, but 750,000 children. And I thought, okay, well, that is just really hard to wrap your head around. So then it's like, is it one in every? So then we said, well, it's one in every, and it was like 5 million. And it's like, well, that's not really that compelling. It doesn't feel, it's like one in every 5 million. Eh, oh, well. Um, so what we figured out is that it was like, the amount of, and again, the numbers aren't right, but the truth of it was the entire number of children in grade school in New York and Massachusetts were being affected by this thing every day. That was then really interesting because we were in Massachusetts when we gave it at Cambridge. So even at one piece of data, we could decide how to deliver it in multiple ways because it yes. could be, you know, 750,000 children, or it could be one in every 5 million, or it could be every single child that goes to school every day in the same Massachusetts and state of New York faces this issue. That now is a really interesting way to present it. So even with data, we could choose how to package it. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. Huge. So I want to mention really quick that you did talk about real estate a lot so far. You did like throw that in there a lot, but I think, so I'm assuming, I believe that you talk to a lot of real estate agents in your business, as well as, you know, people in other businesses, but um, can you just clarify that? Do you have a lot of real estate um, agents that are clients and how do you think storytelling can enhance their businesses? Yeah, so I've worked with uh, quite a few agents, teams, and brokers over the years, um, specifically around like, how do we take these skills of performance and put them into the work we do? How do we find stage presence uh, when we're going to go in front of an audience, a listing appointment, a family, when we're doing, you know, uh, uh, a networking event and we're going to speak on, you know, first time home buyers or some kind of some kind of buying program. So I've done it quite a bit. I've worked with uh, several like top, top producers in Los Angeles and their teams on their listing appointments. Because again, so think of someone who's like built this big brand and now they've got a team. They built this big brand as being a luxury agent top in the world and they're bringing people onto their team who they can't really train necessarily because they're independent contractors, but they want them to represent them properly. So how did we do that? Well, we convinced them that delivering a listing appointment in a certain way was going to make their odds better of winning. And then we showed them how to do that, how to create that theater of the moment for them. So I've worked quite a bit with, um, with agents over the years. And then I've also worked with the, with people who were either coaches in that industry who were going on stage, executives of, of bigger brokerages who were giving speeches and they're going to, um, to Inman and things like that and giving talks. I've coached them for their work there. Because again, you get on stage in front of thousands of agents, you're mm -hmm. doing it for a reason. You wanna have some kind of appeal. So let's really think through what that looks like. So I, I don't have a, I, I don't work a lot one-on-one -on -one with real estate agents. I've had a lot of real estate agents come to my classes and courses over the years around stage presence. At the beginning of COVID, when I started teaching how to be comfortable talking to uh, this inanimate object and, and feeling like you had a connection, I had a ton of agents in that workshop as well. Interesting. Very cool. Very cool. So <clears throat> let's, let's kind of uh, switch to social media. Let's talk about social media a bit because clearly storytelling, you know, everything that Instagram and Facebook do with stories and now LinkedIn is into it. Although I haven't seen them lately, maybe they're not part of LinkedIn anymore. I'm not sure, but um, how do you use social media to tell stories and what impact does that have on your business? If you're, let's say a real estate agent. 
Yeah, it's not my specialty necessarily, social media and how to do it, but I think that there's something about the idea of how do you put together, because there's a big difference between uh, what we call a story versus what a story is. So like yes. when we go on Instagram and we're doing stories, it doesn't mean that we're telling a story necessarily, right. but we conflate the two, uh, the, the two get conflated a lot. So I think that when we go to use the platform tool called a story, the more that we can package our content so that it keeps the audience listening, interested, engaged, the more uh, that we can use the, the stage languages to be compelling on camera and understand how to do that, the better our chances of, of someone actually watching and listening to our content. Uh, and I just want to dispel the thing of like, there's, there's that saying of like, people's attention spans are getting so short. It's not true. That is a lie. Because we are, and the, the study about the goldfish, by the way, didn't happen. It's fake news. There was no study. <laughs> there is no original source on that. And it's not true because think about it. We will binge watch an entire five seasons of a TV show. There's nothing wrong with our attention spans. Totally. The problem is the content is boring or the delivery is boring. So when we go on to platforms, wow. and we're going to do, sorry to be so crude. No, but I love it. It's great. I believe if we have ideas that can help people, it is our job to figure out how to package them so that they listen all the way to the dang end to get what they need from it. I believe that's our job. If we think we can help people, our job is to figure out how to do that because the best information doesn't win the best storyteller does. And so when we go to a platform and we're going to do a live stream or we're going to do a story in the story feature of that app, our job is to say, how do I sequence this so that it has the best chance of surviving, not their attention span, but the best chance of surviving against better content because that's what we're competing with. Mm -hmm. yeah, I say this all the so time to my hard. speakers when they're going to get on stage and they think, well, I need to tell the audience, you know, tell the audience, like, put down your phones, you know, let's pay attention, do all that. And I say, no, you don't. You just need to be good. It is true. I mean, it is true. Think about the last speaker, you know, you saw <clears throat> on stage the one that captures your attention in those first 10 seconds is the one that you, you didn't need to be told any of that stuff. You were just completely <laughs> focused and tuned into. Right. Um, it gives me that, like, it gives me the flashback to those old boring wine trainings where it's like, the only reason we all sat through it is because we needed that tier of certification to put on yeah. our resume. So we sat through it. But imagine if it had been delivered in an interesting way where we were like, oh my gosh, imagine what other things those trainers could have sold us, by the way. We would have yeah, been like, true. Ah, you, I got my certification on the wines of Spain, but now you want to do like a four week workshop on like the, the vineyards in Albarino that I don't actually need, but I'm going to come to it because this was good. We leave yeah. so much on the table because we don't think that we have the ability to do this. We think that other people are born with it and it's not true. This is a learned skill and we all have the, the capacity to package our information and be compelling. However you are, if you're quiet and calm, there's a way to still have stage presence and be so charismatic they can't take their eyes off you. That was, I was just going to ask you that. I, I, it, I'm, and then I'm going to hand it over to Betty, but um, you do, you think that people can learn this. You don't think it's a raw skill. Oh no, I think, I think people can learn it. I think people can learn it. And what we look at sometimes, we look at people and we think like, oh, those big energies, you know, they're on stage, they're booming and yelling. And I think a lot of times what happens is in the moment, it feels, uh, it feels like something, it feels real in the moment, but you leave and you're not changed by it. So those people I think don't really have stage presence. They're just loud. 
Like, and you probably can think of some speakers where you're like, oh, they're just jumping around and yelling and shouting and running to and fro. But like, I don't really remember being profoundly impacted by them. But in the moment, I just was like, woo, because it was like a, a you know, a nervous system hit. And yeah. so that's the that's the thing that I think we mistake sometimes is we look at those, I call it maverick energy where they're pushing so hard, but they're not yeah. actually there in the moment. And so stage presence, I think, comes from being really, really present. And being really, really present can happen whether you're expressive or whether you're actually quite calm. You look at performers like Adele versus Beyonce on stage, two yeah. very different versions of being present and compelling for people. Um, and I think we all have that. And I think we all can learn how to, I think we can all learn copywriting, <laughs> uh, which I think agents should learn for, for their, for their, um, uh, for their, for their work, for their listings and descriptions, for their marketing, for their Facebook posts, for their Instagram posts. We can all learn it. And I think we can all learn storytelling as well. Interesting, because one of the first things I said to you, Mike, is you're obviously a natural at this. <laughs> and I think you are, but but I see how you're saying that it could be learned. Um, I, I need to learn from you. Absolutely. Betty, there's hope for us. There's there hope is. for us. There so is. much hope. <laughs> I'm learning that today. So uh, thank you. That was that was definitely mind, uh, you know, eye opening, I should say. Um, Gosh, I, I know we're kind of getting close to uh, the end of our time and we can talk for hours, but we're going to start <laughs> wrapping this up soon. Uh, yeah, you know, like you did say that we can keep people's attention for forever. So maybe we should just talk for like two more hours. <laughs> um, people, but people really, binge watch. Yes, that's right. Mike. Um, what three action items can you give our listeners today that they can implement right now? They can walk away and put something right into action. I think one, whatever you listen to and you wrote down or you had an aha moment here, do something with that. Because that's one of the big things that happens so often. We get information, we listen to podcasts, we think, oh, that's nice. Oh, I agree with that. Oh, I don't agree with that. Oh, uh, I wonder what that would be like. And then it's, uh, you know, we get busy and we, it's out the door. So I would say whatever you heard here today that you thought, oh, interesting. I got to learn more about that or I want to try it. Write that thing down. That would be the very first thing I recommend because we so often... Uh, have these genius ideas so passively and then they get they get lost in the minutia of every day so write down something that like already happened here that you had a moment with uh and and follow through on that whatever that might be might be researching something reading something looking something up whatever the case is um two i think is to look at your business and say where would where would like the best first place to start be? So if you think about a listing appointment or you think about the way that you show homes or you think about the way you go on camera, kind of think about like which one of those would be a good place just to try some new stuff out, okay? And maybe it is the way that you, um, you know, the way you transition from chatting with them to going into comps. Just pick one small thing because what happens often is we look at and we think this big project, I've got to get better as a presenter, I've got to get better as a speaker, and it's just so daunting. And it's not the way that we workshop shows when we're putting on a show, it's not the way we do that. And so what we teach in the mic drop method is when you're learning to direct yourself, it's to look for the specific moment and say, what could this moment be? What's possible here? and then work on that and then move on to the next thing. Because when we workshop and when we rehearse and memorize a show, we rarely do it top to bottom, beginning to end, and then work on it all. 
we work on scenes, we work on moments. And mm -hmm. I think that more, uh, more realtors focusing on that could really benefit their business because then you get better at that part. You say, ooh, my transition from, uh, from getting to know each other into talking about comps is real smooth now. Okay, great. Now I'm gonna work on this part make that really great versus working on the whole thing is I think why more people don't see improvement. That would be the second thing. And the third thing I think would be to really get comfortable on camera these days. Mm. It's really where people are going to find you. So my recommendation there to help you do it safely uh, for yourself is to start sending all of your messages to other people as videos. So if I'm texting with Christine after this, say, thanks for having me, I'm going to go to my, my uh, text app and I'm going to send a video. Hey, Christine, it's like, thanks so much for having me. What it'll teach you to do is get comfortable with the camera itself in a safe way, because if I ramble or something, it's fine. Christine won't worry. Um, and in fact, most people are going to be surprised that it's going to boost your ego because they're going to be like, ah! so great to see your face you look good blah 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 and you're gonna be feeling tall and feeling good and then you're gonna start doing that with clients and then you're gonna start getting on instagram stories then you're gonna start a youtube channel but the way i think that we can start getting comfortable just with our inanimate object here is to uh start talking to it i also recommend not doing it where you could see yourself in the beginning turn your phone the other way so you cannot see your face because then what you're doing is like Ooh making all these micro adjustments, judging yourself versus just send a video, call it a day, move on and get comfortable talking to an inanimate object as if it was a person. Cause I think video can really help so much in this business. You know what? I, I am so doing that. I'm comfortable on video, <laughs> but I love that. What a great way to further your connection with people. I love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So can you finish this sentence for us, Mike? Uh, no, like trust is, what is it? to you an inner journey first that's an inner journey first we got to know like and trust ourselves in order to go out into the world and do the work we're supposed to do mm, that couldn't be any more true i love it <laughs> i love God, that i love it mike where can people find you Oh, today you can find me here in my office in Los Angeles, but uh, but all the time you can find me on the internet at mikeganino.com. There's actually a story guide you can go get to. It's free. It's mikeganino.com slash storycraft. mikeganino.com slash storycraft. It's the five stories you need to be able to tell and how to tell them so that people listen. That would be useful for this industry. Um, and otherwise, I'm on the socials at Mike Ganino. So come, come send me a video of yourself. I dare you to send me a video on one of the platforms and say, hey, I saw you and he said send a video, so I'm sending you a video. That would just like make my little heart so happy. Oh, I love that. Now we have to do that, Betty. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Oh, that is so oh. funny. I love your butterfly um, in the background, by the way. I've been meaning to see moth. that. It's a moth. It's a moth. It's a moth. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Did you make thank it? Thank you. No, no, it's an artist called... Um, New Warhol, N-U Warhol. And uh, I really, so so I love moths because moths have a lot of the same uh, mythology as butterflies, you know, because they, they do the same journey of, of uh, crystallis. So they're going in the cocoon, all that thing. But they have such a negative rap a lot of times because of the death connotation. There's a death piece to it. And I think what it is, is it's uh, why I love a moth is because it's not about reemerging as someone new and becoming someone new. What I think it is, is, is the death of who you were not as we go into being who we're supposed to be it's often like my i look at my two-year-old daughter she is who she's supposed to be already and now the world 
will condition her to become someone else that she's not. And at some point, I hope she goes through her moth journey to give a death to who she is not so she yeah. can truly be who she is. Oh, I love that. That's oh my really gosh. nice. You scream authenticity. You sure do. <laughs> um, so for everyone listening, I hope you will take Mike up on his invitation to shoot him a video on the socials. Um, and definitely, if you're not feeling courageous enough to do that, definitely give him a follow, give him a hello, give him a like. Um, and if you enjoyed our podcast today, our live cast, definitely share it with your friends, give us a five-star review and, uh, yeah, I guess that's it. That's it for today. Check out the mic drop method. Definitely check out the mic. drop. And actually I'm going to go on mikeganino.com slash storycraft and down that download that as well. <laughs> um, and thank you again so much, Mike. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you all here next time. Thanks care, everyone. everyone. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, we'd love it if you subscribe and leave a review. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out to Christine or Betty on social media for consideration. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Please join us next time for another insightful conversation on incorporating know, like, and trust into your business.